Hi everyone, welcome to the lost generation outside of the mainstream. My name is William Hooker. I am a musician, poet, and part of this generation of artists. My goal with this podcast, which is being broadcast on its own YouTube channel and my website, williamhooker.com, is to introduce you to many of the musical artists that are outside of the mainstream and have made important artistic contributions to our culture. I have also interviewed producers of the music and many fans and supporters of this work. My guests are sharing what makes this art form unique and significant. I hope these conversations will inspire you to listen to the music, which may change you in the way you view music, which again is outside of the mainstream. Today, we're interviewing drummer, composer, and band leader, Mark Edwards. I hope to be airing new interviews on the first of each month. We are presenting these interviews on our own YouTube channel. We have so many amazing interviews coming up that you will be hearing in the future. This is The Lost Generation, outside of the mainstream. This is a story that needs to be told. See you next month. William, good to be here, man. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy that you are here, too, because I can remember the last time I saw you, it was at Jack. And you actually made, it was at Jack. Jack? In Brooklyn, yes. And you, your, your spirit infused Oh, right. Place. I remember that. It really did. That it was really that, did. Uh, ESP. That's right. Thing. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, um, Mark, would you tell us a little bit about yourself in three or four sentences? Give, give Simple. Us a, I'm African American yeah. uh, with an interest in science, astronomy, physics, also Indian spirituality, and energy healing modality. And I'm very passionate about music and the arts. Thank you, Mark. Mark. Um, you brought up something that we were that we had on the side. What again? Oh, Would you elaborate yeah, yeah, yeah. on it? Would you elaborate on it for us? Sure, I'll try. Um, we have the first generation of the artists that did the so-called free music or experimental music, and the media gave them a fair amount of coverage. I mean, everyone more or less knows about John Coltrane, uh, Sun Ra, Pharaoh, uh, Arnett Coleman, Archie Shep, and many others in, within that idiom. But the generation that followed, especially after some of these guys died, uh, the media has gone, you know, we're, it's almost like we're in limbo. I mean, we're out here, but only a handful of know and appreciate and value the music that we're doing. 
Now, we continue to somewhat draw inspiration from the previous generation, but I would say the current generation has become even more experimental because I've had the opportunity to work with Rita Walter with his Cellular Chaos, which is part of that underground network. And these kids are into all manner of music. You know, they got, you got electronics, you got the noise, you know. Their approach is very, very different. Some of them get used noise to build upon that to make even more noise, whereas I tend to be more jazz-oriented in that uh, I use the traditional approach of having some type of melody and we build and improvise on top of that. But the kids, they don't do that. They just work strictly from the noise base, which is totally different. Um, I find that I've started to incorporate some of that into my music because I have a man in my band who does live electronics. Who's that? That's Laurie Zemra. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, Laurie's been around and he does a lot of solo work, you know, okay. showing you what he can do. Uh huh. And I generally try to have about four guitar players. Uh, one guitar player will play a guitar bass combo. I used to have a bass player, but <clears throat> at the current moment, you know, he's not uh, with us, but I may bring him into the fold a little bit later on. Mm -hmm. uh, my musical development is very unusual in that I did not really grow and interact with a bass player per se. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it was always me and the horn or me and Coopermore. I see. Because I came out of Apogee with David S. Weir and uh, Gene Ash. Gene Ashton, as he would call him back in the day. Did you live in that building? No. I lived on 158th Street between Amsterdam and Broadway. Right. And at that location, that's where they filmed the movie Gloria, further down. And even Kirk Douglas did a, a movie called The Brotherhood down near, close to the Riverside Drive in that Viaduct building. He filmed the movie there. And uh, some of the black films during the 70s filmed movies throughout my neighborhood. So the area uh -huh. is fairly well known. But you came in from Boston, Apogee? <clears throat> well, I went to Berkeley. Oh, okay. And I wanted to study with Alan Dawson. Yes. Because I had heard that Tony Williams had studied with him. So I said, well, I had seen Tony Williams. And I said, well, Tony's a bad cat. You know, I, I got to study with his teacher. You know, maybe I'll learn how to play like that. But you can study with anyone, but you have to have the music inside of you. If you don't have it inside of you, uh, no one's going to give it to you. You have to really want to play that way. There has to be a burning desire to want to do something, to do great things. Now, I've tried to mimic what John Coltrane did, you know, in terms of practicing. Yes. But I could not maintain the focus, mainly because, number one, I know I'm going to be here a while. You know, I know I'm not going to drop there two weeks from now or six months from now. Okay. I'm going to be right. here. Beautiful. So I don't have to be pushing myself that hard, but I really, truly believe that Coltrane knew that for some reason his time was going to be short. So he just went for it. I hear you, Mark. Yeah. You know, so he must have had a very special connection with the divine because he certainly had support. He was able to do that. I mean, did you see uh, the documentary? Absolutely, the very first night. Very, it was, I thought it was very well done. I, I really loved it. I mean, from the moment it started, they used some of the music from his later period. 
and a lot of times the media tend to dismiss that aspect of Coltrane playing, but it was really very valid. I mean, people tell me, I've heard so many musicians say, oh, I like what Coltrane did early on, but I don't like what he did in the later years, and I'm saying, are you kidding me? You know, all you got to do is listen to his records in chronological order, right? And when you start to run into a problem, just back it up a little bit, listen to those earlier recordings, and then move forward slowly. And you'll be surprised to see that what Coltrane did, basically when you get into a certain way of playing, you know, we are largely creatures of habit. You can't just change, completely break away from what you've been doing for 20, 30 years and do something completely new. Okay. You're going to still be established, hooked into certain patterns, rhythmic, true, melodic, or whatever. I can agree with that. Yeah, so I agree with that. I agree if you listen to what Coltrane was doing, then when he changed his music, if you listen to it, you, he was still hearing chord changes in his playing. And if you listen to him play, you will hear that. But what but, about us? But us. Oh, what about us? What is it? Yeah, my question, yeah. My question to you, Michael, is this. All right. What have we contributed in terms of our existence, in terms of this generation, that is um, over and above what the previous the previous uh, generation did, which merits which merits recognition, respect, and to put it mildly, exposure. They're okay. like their livelihood. I would make one minor you, you correction on that. Okay, then. It's Good. very difficult to surpass what Coltrane did because okay. he was a phenomenon. Okay. But as for everybody else, I would say this generation has made contribution, significant contribution, in that the music is wide open now. It's not just horned and drums or whatever it was in the past with the horn screaming all the time. Yeah. I know in my own band, Slipstream Time Travel, I have mostly uh, just the guitar players doing it, which is a very, very different approach. Okay. Because they match my loud drumming. Okay. You know, that do, you, do you mic every drum? No. It's just the bass drum, the tom, maybe the cymbal. But I always ask the sound guy to mic the bass because it makes it easier for me because I'm using the double bass drum pedal. Oh, you are? Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm using that. I'm trying to get into some of the bass drum technique that the metal drummers do. So I I go to some of the metal shows and I talk to the drummers and they tell me, oh, I started when I was five years old. I started when I was 10 years old. And I'm saying... <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? Yeah, what, what are you saying? saying to myself, man, I was 60 when Weasel Walter asked me to play rock, I said, I've got a long way to go. <laughs> but you played, you played music before that, because if you think about it, Apogee uh, is, ep, to, my, to my thinking, Mark, Apogee is a groundbreaking group. How so? Apogee is a groundbreaking group in the sense of, uh, there were very few groups playing. Groups, groups. I get you. I get it. And to me, there's power. In the group, oh, definitely. even though even though even though I may seem like a person that goes from group to group and creates all these situations, I really feel that I really feel <laughs> I really feel this power in numbers, and I really feel I really feel the beauty of going down a particular path, if if that's your way. 
I feel the beauty of going down a particular path with other people that you resign yourself to a higher purpose and you decide that this is where we are going as a group. And Apogee was one of those. Yeah. Because that's when I first heard of you. Yeah. Well, Apogee, we were all very much on the same page and we wanted to approach the music via the high energy. We, we just loved it. And, and you all we were, were highly we skilled. Were, we were, what we basically did, we, we got together, we got a room, you know, it took some time, but we found a room, found right. a place to rehearse, you know, and back in the day, the seed was much lower than it is today. But once we got a room, we was in the room, like, Monday through Friday. And that's all we would do, we would get to play. Another group that was like that, that was mentioned, Muntu was like that. I saw them. I saw them play at uh, the Studio Ribby. You understand what I'm saying? Saw. Juju was like that. <clears throat> really? Yeah. I didn't. I, I, I remember the name. Me. I'm not sure if I saw Juju. Them. Juju was like that. Yeah. Uh -huh. I started Juju. Okay. In California, there was three drummers. There were three drummers, conga drummers, and, and there was me on top of that. And they asked, and, and not to, not to. They asked me. They looked at me like, "What are you doing?" Because <laughs> that's a very polite way. They probably said, "What the f are you doing?" <laughs> because Mike, Mike, because Mike, you know for yourself. You know for yourself. If you hear one beat, if you hear one beat going, right, that's one beat. Then you hear another beat on the side going. Now this cat that's playing this while I'm cold. This dude is playing three drums. Then you got this other person over here playing his his thing. Then you got this other person over here playing, and it's all in this circular. Yeah. And then yeah. on top of that, here I come in there, and I would lay on top of it freedom. That's yeah. when I knew I was yeah. free. Yeah. That's when I knew I was free. Uh, and and um, what's that to say? That's to say that. Um, if you have a group, and on top of that group, you can lay as much freedom as you like. Separate mm -hmm. from having a bass or not having a bass. Yeah. yeah. As a drummer, you know mm -hmm. that you can take it wherever you want, and you can land wherever you want, and you know that somebody like David Ware is going to be there to catch you, mm -hmm. to pick it up from where you are. You know that Alan Brockman's going to be there to catch you, you know. Yeah. So you're yeah. not afraid. You don't. You don't feel that fear, and you also don't feel like that. You also don't feel that thing of like, what the blank are you doing? Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I'm asking yeah. you in your experience, in your experience, like other cats that you also feel like we're in the same way. I'll ask you a couple of questions. Ahmed Abdullah, very good player. I saw David Edwards play with him. Yeah. I really liked his composition, his song. And Charles Moffat was really very brilliant on the drum. I mean, he was very melodic behind what they were doing. He was playing with Ahmed. Yeah, and the guitar, the, uh, the guitar player was Masuja. That's Beautiful. right. Go on, go on. Masuja passed, didn't he? I don't know if he's still around. But he's our age. He's one of this lost generation. I remember Masuja. Yeah, go. He was very, uh, he did a piece on Ronald Shannon Jackson's album, When Colors Play. He's the one that played that blue. You remember that? Go uh, on, piece? Mark. Go on, go I on, mean, Mark. He really played that very, very well, and I, I had the chance to talk 
talked to him about that. He said, I took that solo on that Ronald Channing Jackson album, When Colors Play, and I was really honored to have met him because I loved that performance. Let me give you another person, The Wizard. No, I didn't see them. Frank Lowe. Frank Lowe I met, and it's funny, when Cecil Taylor was doing the rehearsal for that large ensemble that would later play at Carnegie Hall, Yes. Frank was coming to the rehearsal, but he kind of felt insecure about the fact that he didn't read music very well, so he stopped coming. But I've told people over and over over the years that... Why did he feel? Why was that? Why well, it's a big thing. Because, well, I don't know. He's my neighbor. It's a big He's my thing. neighbor. He's my neighbor. You know, we, we, had, we hang out. We try to like, we try to, we, we hung out for a while. Okay. Why did he feel that way? Because there was a lot of people, I guess if you're in an environment where there's a lot of people that are doing something that you are not, you might have reservations about yourself and you may even lose confidence in what you're doing. But the beauty of the situation was that Cecil had us play those lines over and over so many times. The only way you couldn't get it is if you were brain dead. I mean, you had to be brain dead not to get it. The lines were repeated so much that even I knew the line, and I didn't have to play the line because I'm doing the drums, you know. But right. I had to know where one section started, where it went, and where another section began, and so forth. And I had a very interesting experience. Well, what do Andy. you feel about what do you feel about what do you feel about um, Frank Lowe's music, the way he approached the music? Frank was a good player. Uh, Where and I went to see him at a oh. concert when Impulse brought their artists somewhere at this place on uh, Math Avenue, and it was very well attended. Yes, our age. Yeah. Um, Frank played with Alice Coltrane, and Where was checking him out, and I said, "Well, Where, what do you think?" And uh, he kind of deferred judgment on Frank, but I think we knew what the cat was playing, you know, but he just didn't want to say it out loud. But, you know, back in the day, I felt that Rear was arguably the strongest man or antenna around, you know. But Frank had a certain thing happening within his music, and he used it to great effect. Joe Rigby. I only saw Joe play with Andrew Surreal and David S. Weir. Uh, I forgot where they were playing. It must have been on the east side. Yeah. And I remember the uh, poet, the writer, uh, Shan Jay, the lady who did uh, For Colored Girls Only. She, she came to that. In Tazaki. Tazaki. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen her in many, many years. Yes, but, yes. But, uh, yeah, I saw Joe play, and at the time he was very muscular, physically. I mean, he looked like Arnold, you know. He had that kind of look. <laughs> looked like Arnold. Arnold. Yeah. My stepfather was like that. Looked like hey, Arnold. He had that muscular physique, but he never lifted any weight. He just naturally had it. All right, I'm going to ask you one question as we, as we, as we go into this. Uh, are we too esoteric? and more abstract than people can handle? And what does that say about our society? Well, the esoteric quality is always there. 
But I think we are living in a different era where we have more people that are interested in the spiritual. I mean, people are getting into meditation, yoga, Reiki, and other forms of energy healing modalities. I think there's a great openness toward the esoteric. But for the average workaday person, you know, they obviously have a very different mentality. So you have both happening. And some of the New Agers believe that we're going to enter a glorious era where everyone lives in peace and harmony and all of that kind of stuff. But I mean, it's related. <laughs> I, I hear you, Mark. Mark, I love it. I, I, I'm speaking specifically about this music. How did it relate to the music? Yes. Well, that's there with the music. You know, the music is all inclusive of a lot of different elements. But as far as people getting it. Yeah, that's what I mean. I can't blame the audience because what do we have when you come home? I mean, most people turn on a TV and there's a steady diet of a specific type of programming, television right. programming. Right. You know, even with the music and the so-called arts and everything, it's mostly backbeat. Music. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah. if you're conditioned to hear, <laughs> I got you, man. Go. You know, yes, you can't go, really. It's going to be hard for you to hear something like what Coltrane were doing, or if you hear something like Apogee and what we were doing, or Cecil Taylor is doing. That's going to be very mind blowing to you, and for most people, it's going to be a major system overload. <laughs> you know, they no, just can't is take it, it really? I think so. Then why for, uh, why is it not overloading our system then? If it's a major system overload, we're we should be it. comatose. Thank you for tuning in. In months ahead, you will have the opportunity to hear from many more Lost Generation artists and supporters. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to hear upcoming episodes.